tap into the psychology of engagement and more. This is where we talk about life, learning, and everything in between. This is the Lifelong Podcast, a show for those of you who love to ask why. Because we're marketers. It's because we're coaches. It's because we're change makers. Each week, we dive into the big questions and explore the psychology of engagement with strategies, tactics, and special guests along the way. Now, here's your guide, the visibility hacking queen herself, Coach Molly. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Lifelong Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Molly from visibilityhacking.com. And as per usual, my friends, I'm so glad you're here. Today, going to have a really great conversation as we always do on our Thursday episodes. So if you love this conversation or if you've loved our conversations in the past, I would really, I would love if you guys would rate, subscribe, download all of our episodes, and also share this with a friend. Why? Because conversations are better when we're together. <laughs> so as I, I've already said, I'm Coach Molly. Find me on all of my social platforms. Um, yeah. I'm just going to jump straight into it because we have a really cool guest today and we're going to go on a little bit of a journey that I think is going to connect with a lot of you guys listening at home today. We've all had bad bosses and we all should be listening to the one and only boss himself. But before we dive into any of that stuff, I got to I got to introduce my guest, but I don't introduce my guest. So who are you and 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 what do you do, my guest? So I am Jesse Jackson. I am from Dallas, Texas. I am not the Jesse Jackson, um, but I am a Jesse Jackson. Um, just to conf- to make sure that your guests don't go, wow, Molly got the civil rights leader to talk about bad bosses? That's amazing. Um, I also want to jump in really quick. Um, one of the main complaints we get about bad bosses is no feedback. And so listeners, don't be a bad boss. You know, podcasting is such a lonely business. A lot of times we feel like we are just casting our thoughts and feelings out on the water and very few people give us feedback. And so going to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, giving us ratings, giving us reviews, emailing us um, just is means the world to us. I cannot tell you how happy I get when I get an email from saying, even if they said they hated the podcast, I'm like, okay, at least you listened. So anyway, Jesse Jackson, I am a call center uh, director for a company called CoachNet. We are, we do RV, um, we do roadside assistance for RVs. So we are one of the few industries that the pandemic has actually been good for us in a sad way, but everyone wants to go on vacation still. So you rent an RV or you buy an RV because you can be socially distanced and safe. Uh, I've been in the contact center business for over 30 years, and I have had some bad bosses, and I can't wait to talk to you about this, Coach Molly. So before we talk about bosses, explain to everyone listening at home what exactly a call center or, or, or what is it exactly that you guys do, and how would we as customers relate to that part of the world? Yeah, so um, back in the day, they used to call them call centers, um, and And I just recently got in the habit of calling them contact centers because now then people talk to their customer service department by text, by email, by chat, um, you know, just all these different ways. So they've changed it from a call center to contact center. 
but we are picture the huge warehouse of cubicles with people with headsets um, taking, thank you for calling, have you started your computer and have you turned your computer off and turned it on? Or, hi, can I have your customer account number? Um, so we are, the call center business is exactly every time you pick up and dial an 800 number because you have a problem with your bill, because you want to order something, because you are, you know, difficulty on an order, anything, a call center person takes it. And so this is a huge industry. Um, and there is still plenty of us in the U.S., though it does get the feeling that almost all of them are going to India or Manila, and I've had that experience as well. Um, so that's what we do. And CoachNet is a company that provides roadside assistance for the RV industry. So let's say, Coach Molly, you decide you want to hit the road. You want to go on vacation. So you go, you buy an RV included in that uh, purchase price will be a year or two of roadside assistance for us. So let's say your RV breaks down, you instead of calling AAA, you would call us because AAA is not in the business of towing RVs. Uh, we also, a lot of other services, but that's mostly it. So you're not just dealing with angry customers who are calling to complain, right? No, in fact, this now I've done that plenty of times in the past. I have, I have, I've managed technical support centers where people are calling to say, "Oh my God, I've screwed something up. You need to help me fix it before my boss finds out." <laughs> I think almost every tech support call can be summed in that uh, story. Uh, no, we are, and we are. People are having a bad day when they call us because something has gone wrong. Either they've got a flat tire, they've locked their keys in their car something has gone wrong and uh and then we our job is to get them back on the road safely and moving on so we no one and this is a common joke um molly in the call center industry is no one picks up the phone to say hey my order came in perfectly everything was perfect thank you so much or you know what i ran this report it did exactly what i wanted to do thank you or just want to let you know, my car started up right away. My RV didn't have a flat. I'm in great mood. Just want to say hi. How are you doing? You mean people don't call you to tell you, like, check out the view that I'm getting from my road trip? No, they don't. They don't. <sighs> so you're clearly dealing with people who are having some kind of an issue that day. They're not in the most positive, helpful mindset. So you're, you're having to deal with that stress. But then yes. what happens when you're also having to deal with the stress from bad management, for example, or a, or a overly hovering supervisor, for example. Yeah, the, the phrase I've said is too many managers, especially in the call center business, treat their employees like mushrooms. Mm. They keep them in the dark, they feed them BS, and they expect them to grow. <laughs> that, is, that is brilliant. Um, and so, I have, and yes, so um, when you, and, and I have seen bosses that only share when you do something wrong, Yeah. right? They, you know, and, and despite all this, look for something right and do a positive thing. It is easy to do. And, you know, one of my favorite stories, Molly, is I was giving a performance appraisal to a um, employee and, you know, I said, gosh, I, 
hardly ever talk to you. I just want to let you know you're doing a great job. And, you know, I really appreciate you. And she said, oh, I know. I, I used to work in a daycare. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand. She goes, well, when you work in a daycare, you ignore the good kids and you spend all your time with the bad kids. So she figures, I figured if you're, in, if you're ignoring me, I'm one of the good kids. And I said, yes, but that's sad. That you shouldn't have to do that in your mind to justify why your manager isn't visiting with you very often. Yeah, we yeah. definitely need to make sure that we're as managers, as supervisors, that we're working with our team. And I love this analogy of mushrooms. Like as much as I love my mushrooms, yes. it's true. Like I need, you need to make sure that your team, regardless of what your hierarchy looks like or how many steps away from the C-suite these staff are, everyone needs to be kept in the light of what's going on so that they can make the best decisions. They need to be fed a lot better than just BS so that again, they can give the best to their customers, the best information. But also when we treat our employees like that, when we respect them, when we give them what they need to thrive, they're able then to not only give better information for our customers, they give a better personality, especially in an industry like yours where people are calling you and they are stressed. You need to handle them emotionally as much as you need to handle what they're actually calling about. Yeah, you know, Coach Molly, one of the things that my boss says uh, when he is pitching to get new business, when customers are doing a tour, potential customers, he said, we're, our callers are having one of the worst days of their lives. Mm -hmm. And we want them when they get the NPS survey to rank us at the same way they would if they were spending the night at the Four Seasons. We have that high of an NPS uh, goal. Um, and, you know, I, I, I heard this story once, um, and I, and I, I think it was Michael Irvin, who um, the former Dallas Cowboy receiver, he talked about that you fly to Vegas and you lose money. And then when you come back home, you're telling all your friends that what a great time you had and you can't wait to go back. That if your brother had just taken $200 of your money, you would have been complaining and um, you know saying, I can't believe this. It's all how it's presented and it's the experience. So yeah. um, I think all of your listeners can think of an example when they called someone to get help and maybe they weren't able to get help, but they felt like the caller cared. The caller gave them as many options as they could. And you know, when they get off the phone, they may be asked how to go. Well, they weren't able to help me, but they gave me these suggestions. Yeah. Um, they helped move the ball down the field a little bit. Yeah. yeah one I, of the, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I used to work in uh, at a, a somewhat popular video chain that now no longer exists. So people yes. would come to us on their, their only Friday night, right? People who have worked hard all week and they just want to relax. They're on their way home. They want to pick up a movie, some snacks, and then just veg out on the couch. And it was my responsibility to make sure that they had the right movie in their hands that was going to match the mood, their family environment. It was going to be the right length. It was going to be in the right language. I am a foreign film buff. Um, and so I would have people who would come from miles, like 30 miles away, so that they could come get my recommendations. And it's because I cared about my people. 
when I look at other people that I've worked with, even outside of that teenage job I had, when people, when employees are met with a customer who is upset or who's angry or who, who has a question or a frustration, a lot of our, our initial reaction is to build up that wall, put on those defenses and then be like, okay, stop yelling at me. It's not my problem. And I want to escalate this to my supervisor, but I know if I do, my supervisor is going to get upset. So how do you, how do you handle that? How do you make sure that you are there giving the best possible customer service? And as you mentioned, giving them as many options as possible. How do you do that? So a lot of this is, um, we have training is incredibly important, learning and performance, um, you know, mentoring, however you want to call it. A couple of things that we specifically, you know, bring up is that um, I personally get very angry when I call, someone can't help me, they give me no options, and because of their script, they end the conversation, well, is there anything else I could do for you? And I, I go, you didn't do anything for me. <laughs> you yeah. know, I know your script says you have to say this, yeah. but don't do it, you know. Um, at least have enough sense to say, well, I know I wasn't able to help you with this item, but while I have you, is there anything else I can do? Um, so quick question, Molly, and this is, um, I, I warned you beforehand, I can go off on tangents. So um, my son is now 31, but um, when he was a teenager, his mom, my lovely bride, we've been married 35 years and I fought all the time because my business is looking for a way to say yes. As a mom, she was just no. So my son would go, hey, can I go to a party? No. And I'm like, well, let's think about it. Yeah. What can he do to make it so that you'd be comfortable him going to a party? Yeah. Jesse, no, I'm just saying, you know, but I was always like, let's look for a way to say yes. And, um, and so I think that's what I stress to my people. Look for a way to say yes. Um, try to, you know, and I know this is cliche, but be empathetic, put yourself in that position and listen to yourself. Uh, don't be afraid to, you know, say, well, I can't do this, but what I can do is this, you know, and then explain. Um, sometimes bad news is better if you explain what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. For example, someone may be upset that, oh, my goodness, you know, the people I, I ran out of gas. Someone's bringing me five gallons of gas and they're charging me five dollars a gallon. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's highway robbery. And, uh, you know, and we'll go, well, you know, the total cost of having someone come out and bring you the gas was $250. You had to pay the gas, you know, which was 20 bucks. Oh, okay. You know, so, uh, and that's just a kind of a exaggeration, but, and too many people, um, and, and, you know, when we get to specifics of bosses not understanding circumstances, for example, I've had bosses that, um, I, I, I love this one, you know, service level in the call center business is what percentage of the calls were answered in X amount of minutes or seconds. Yep. So we had a 90% service level for the day, which is very good. But from five to 5.30, we got two calls and only one of them got answered within the 
parameter. So it was a 50% service level. So my boss is like, what happened this half hour? Like, okay, um, we, we had it for the day. You know, it just worked out. Yeah, but what about that specific half hour? I'm like, come on. Yeah. You know, it, it, just circumstances, you know? Um, and not in a way of, oh, do we need to adjust shifts or changing thing? This was just a bad day. So you look for trends. Uh, and that's my first thing. When you see a trend of things going on, that's when you can address it and talk to an agent or talk to your management team. The other thing is listen, care what they're saying. You know, and I know that seems crazy, right? Like, well, everyone listens, but they don't. Yeah. They, they, are, they come in with a thought. I know what it's going to be. I know what it's supposed to be. You know, how many times have we heard it's my way or the highway, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, but that isn't necessarily right. You know, and, and especially I think in any service industry, the people on the front line know what's going on. When you worked at the movie place, you know, you knew more than the district manager that had four or five stores. You knew more about what your people wanted, what was working, what wasn't working, what space. This was a waste of storage space. We're not going to sell this stuff and what we should have been doing. And did anyone ask you? Maybe, maybe yeah. not. No, because it's it's on on our job descriptions. That's not in my job description to to make decisions like that. And we, we get so stuck in that sometimes. And it, you know, sometimes it works. And one of my favorite, um, my favorite thinkers right now is Jordan Peterson. And he talks about how companies need both liberal thinkers and creative thinkers who are going to be innovative and they're going to push boundaries and they're going to do things differently because that's how they're wired. But if we just had those innovators, we wouldn't actually be able to move forward with our businesses. So we also need the, the manager types, the people who are going to stick to that schedule, stick to that framework, stick to the rules. But again, if we just had people like that, our businesses would stagnate and they wouldn't move forward because we'd just be stuck with the rules. So we, instead, we need those two opposing forces to be able to adjust and to move forward. We need the managers to ring in the innovators a little bit, and we need the innovators to push those boundaries for those managers. And when we do that, when we radically think different about the way that we run our companies, we actually can start asking people who are at the bottom of the totem pole, quote unquote, what their thoughts are. Crazy idea, they deal with our customers. So in a call center, for example, you know, like if you, if your whole job is answering the phone and getting people's complaints and figuring out where people are having trouble with your product, it would make sense to me as a CEO to sit down with that, that whole team and say, guys, what are those trends? Because if you guys are seeing them on the front line, then that means we up top need to do something different so that you guys can stop answering those phone calls and instead be answering calls about something else, continuing to move that business forward. And, and that's so true. And the, you know, I want to address what you talked about, like the two different personalities. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I use this all the time when I'm interviewing, um, when I'm bringing in someone to my management team, is um, I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. And I love the series Sports Night. And there is a scene where Robert Guillaume's um, character is talking to Jeremy. 
and he said, if you're dumb, you surround yourself with smart people. Yep. If you're smart, you surround yourself with smart people who disagree with you. Yep. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. That you, and, and that's part of being a good manager is listening. Now, Molly, there are times sometimes where as managers, we have to be dictatorial. Yep. This is the rule. This is our decision. I already make it. We, there's no need to have a discussion. This is what's going on. Um, and I've had that in the past where I've gone to my team and said, okay, um, upper management asked us to find, you know, X amount of dollars reduction for next year. I can do this two ways. I can have your guys help or I can do it on my own. But understand, we can't debate on the amount of money we're going to find. That's not an option. We can t Now, if you want to spend 10 minutes talking about how it's unfair, they don't understand, let's, we can vent all that out. And then once we do, let's get to doing what we have to do and making tough decisions. Yeah. That's kind of my management style is I understand sometimes you do need to vent and sometimes you need to, but then you got to go, we have a rule to do. And then there's other times, you know, Molly, where I go, okay, what do you guys think? Because if you guys come up with a plan and we all agree with it, okay, let's try it. Let's go forward. You know, and the worst that happens is it doesn't work. And then we've learned that it didn't work and we can try something else. Yeah. I, since we're talking about my history working at, in movies, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Apollo 13. I have been obsessed with that movie since I was a kid for many reasons. But the, the, the part that keeps coming back to me when I'm in a, a place of challenge, either I'm dealing with someone, a customer who's having a hard time, or I'm managing a team that's having a hard time, or I'm that supervisor in the middle. And I have to, I have to tell my staff that I'm sorry, guys, there is no conversation. We have to do X, Y, and Z. And we have no control over that. I always think back to the moment in Apollo 13, when, what was it? The air filter breaks or whatever. And they, they're up in space. They can't complain about it. Complaining is not going to get them anywhere. It's going to use up their precious oxygen. They need to figure out how to do it. So everyone puts their head down into that problem and starts to come up with a solution instead of whining about it, instead of passing blame around instead of giving up and storming out because yeah nobody was listening to me instead everyone was so focused on all right what resources do we have how do we do this how do we do this together um and I think that that has followed me with the way that I manage my staff and I work with my teams so you've you've told us about you know crappy bosses in the past what so what I yeah. did want to jump in just because the moment you mentioned Apollo 13, <laughs> I thought of the scene, and, and I, we did not talk about this in advance, where he says, we need to have this, and for those of looking, I'm holding up my phone, you know, fit into this, and I'm holding a coaster, <laughs> and then he throws everything on the table, yep. and this is all we have. Yep. And I have played that clip for my team many times to say – right? This is, we have a problem. This is our known solutions. Easy to say, well, let's hire five more people yeah. or, you know, let's, well, we should quit doing that. You know, we should, we, you know, we should, we should have our customers explain to the, you know, better, you know, yeah. so they won't ask us these questions and you're like, nope, 
or management yes. needs to adjust yeah. something. Yes. No, no. This, right here, right now, what's on the table? This item needs to fit in this item, and this is all we have. So I, you and I are in sync for that. So anyway, <laughs> go back to your question. I'm sorry. So so we've had, we've had really bad bosses in the past. I think both of us, and I think most of all of everyone who's listening right now has had a bad boss of some sort. Maybe they didn't listen to you. Maybe they treated you like a mushroom. Maybe they treated you like, uh, maybe they kicked you out of the airlock on if you were on Apollo 13, cause you were complaining too much. I don't know, but we've all had bad bosses. What kind of stuff have you learned from them? And then how do you apply that to your position now? So very early in my call center business, um, I, I was an agent and I got pulled into my manager's cubicle and he said, Hey, I uh, just want to let you know that we're going through everyone's attendance and um, you don't have an attendance problem, but you know, you've had three unexcused absences. And uh, so just wanna let you know that, you know, just at six is a verbal warning, seven is a written warning, eight corrective action plan, just wanna let you know. And so I sat back at my desk and I go, I've been here six months and they've never talked about this before. And then I heard people complaining that all of a sudden they are on a written warning. They're on a verbal warning, you know? And so when I became a acting supervisor, when someone called out sick, I immediately pulled up an email and said, hey, Sarah, you now, are you now at one unscheduled absence? At six, you're at a verbal, you know, whatever. And so I started emailing that. So that way, because I said, I, I want to be notified right away. You know, and a couple of agents would complain like, Jesse, I'm calling you and you're saying, oh, I hope you feel better. And at the same time, you're sending an email, you know, giving me a point. And I'm like, I just, I do hope you feel better. I'm just saying, I don't want you to be unaware of where you at. And so, um, so that was someone I'm like, they're not communicating to me. I think we need to communicate to people, yeah. you know, um, we, you know, I saw in the past, like people like, well, um, just not giving people time off, like on the holidays and just, there seemed no rhyme or reason to it. So when I first became a manager and we were 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, I sent an email out saying, okay, holidays are coming up. If you want off the Friday after Thanksgiving, you need to work Christmas Eve. And if you want to be off Christmas Eve, you need to work the Friday after Thanksgiving. And what was amazing, Molly, is about half the team wanted each day. So it worked out and everyone was happy because like, oh, I want that four day Thanksgiving weekend or I want, you know, that Christmas long weekend. And everyone was happy because you, you just told them up front, here's what I'm expecting. This is only fair and it, it works well. I, yeah. and, and I know people listening to this right now will go, well, you're being overly optimistic, Jesse, because there are some people that no matter what you say, no matter what you explain, they're going to complain, they're going to whine. And, and I agree. Um, the story I tell my morale committee is um, understand everything you do. A third of the people love it. A third of the people hate it. And a third of people just won't care. 
So when you're planning a party or you're planning an event, understand third will love it, third will hate it, third won't care. The idea, though, as a manager or as a morale committee or anything else, you do enough ideas that that three rotates so that someone is always happy about that. Tell me about this morale committee. That sounds okay. Before before you answer that, the reason I'm asking is because we get a lot of people who step up into management and supervisory roles. They're not necessarily trained to be supervisors or managers when they get that promotion. They they've been doing their job. They've been great at it. They've showed a little bit of um, experience in their job, and then sometimes the the managers will be like, "Oh, well, that's the next person will pull up to be a supervisor." but they're not necessarily the best at doing that job. And they tend to repeat the same behavior that they experienced when they were working. And then we get a lot of, oh, well, you can't have that holiday because that's not how we do it around here. Instead of taking that different idea, like you were mentioning and saying, wait, there's, there's no harm in sitting down with my team and asking for their input. I can still overrule them, but asking for their input, crazy idea. Well, oh, right, Coach idea. Molly, I mean, um, when, when Chris was little, we had a wonderful pediatrician, and she was explaining that the reason why you watch all these doctor shows that they're working 30, 40 hours in a row, these, you know, interns or residents, mm-hmm. is because, well, that's what I had to do. Yeah. That's what I had to do. And so um, you find that sometimes we're like, well, I didn't get any management training. Exactly. I got thrown in the deep end and I was told to figure it out um, versus, um, you know, I, I have three new managers on my team. We just, we had some internal transfers. It was all good things. So I promoted three people um, and, you know, we're going through training. I mean, and I just had a training last week of how to coach agents yeah. and what's the process of how to you, to, you know, to, positive reinforce and then when you have to move into discipline how to do it and so each step of the way and a couple of them says you know this is a lot of work and I go yes it is Mm -hmm. it really is but you can't Mm -hmm. um what happens if you don't do this is well Molly's having a bad day okay then a week later well Molly's usually good but she's just good and then after couple of months, like, Jesse, Molly needs to be fired. Yeah. She's just horrible. Well, have you talked to her? No. Okay. Have you told Molly she's not doing it well? Yeah. I, 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 this is embarrassing, but I'm also kind of proud of this. Um, when I go back to my pediatrician I was just talking about. Uh, my son was two, three, and she said, he is strong-willed. You should go get the book the Strong-Willed Child by James Dobson. And I'm not supporting, I know James Dobson has a lot of other things that you may not support, but the book was about, you can't hold your child accountable unless you've told them what you expect them to do. And I went, well, that works for employees too. Right? You can't hold them accountable unless you've told them. If you haven't told them, this behavior is unacceptable, but Jesse, everyone should know. No, they don't. They, they don't. I mean, and so, and that's something where I, I would, like, I remember going into meetings 
and a boss asking for a report he'd never asked before and unhappy I didn't have it. And now, did I have it every other meeting? Yes. Did he ever ask for it again? No. But it, right? Like, I know people are talking to their headphones right now going, yes, my boss has done that too. <laughs> yeah, I remember working at, um, at a variety of different summer camps when I was younger. And that was such an incredible experience that I hope every young person has the experience to work in a summer camp because you learn about leadership. You learn about managing and supervising other people when you're 15, 16, 17 years old. And in that experience, it was wonderful because my coordinators were awesome at teaching us how to sit down and coach your staff who might be your best friend, who might be someone you absolutely despise from high school maybe. And no matter what, no matter what that external relationship is, it's about what you actually did on the job. And you cannot put on someone's um, end of year evaluation that they, they were horrible at X, Y, and Z if you do not have proof that you've spoken to them multiple times, that you've given them different options and ways to work around that situation. Um, and you have to have all of that documented. And it's not, having everything documented is, is really helpful from a managerial perspective when it comes to having to terminate a staff or when you're like, uh, this isn't working and we have tried these nine different reasons. It's all documented. We have the back and forth. But the power of it is not in what the end result is in having that massive packaging for whatever reason. The power of it is in those individual moments when you're able to say at the end of the day, Sarah, what you did today with that camper was incredible. I know it's not in our job description and I know it's not in what we were expecting of you, but I just want to say I noticed it. And I think it's awesome. And it really impacted your team in a positive way. And I just want to highlight that. And then to be able to go to the team as a whole and say, this was incredible behavior. And I want to call that out in front of all of you guys, because that helped all of us. So I want to thank you for, for doing awesome jobs. And I want to thank my whole team for being there for each other. And let's, let's keep going. Let's keep doing these awesome things together. And that way you're increasing that morale. You're showing by example, what is great behavior. And if say, say Sarah wasn't doing something great, she did something that Maybe she yelled at a kid or she did something that she shouldn't have have done. Having that same tone of voice to say, hey, I saw what was going on. What's going what's happening? Was that too much to handle? Is there something that I can do to best support you? Here are different ways that we can work around it. Have we talked to the other teammates? Maybe there was something else that was happening that I didn't see or that's a working at summer camp is a very much I see you see kind of job, but a lot of jobs are based on data. So you're, you're, why didn't this call get answered? Like we mentioned before, it's asking for that added information from your people will be able to say, by example, we're not going to do this, but as a team, let's come up with that solution together so that we can support each other. If this happens again, what do you think about that? I totally agree with that. And so a couple of things, one, I can't tell you how often someone has come to me and said, well, you know, John's always calls out on Fridays. Okay. Have you done the research? Yeah. And then, you know, you, okay, go back for the last six months, look at his call outs 
and then come back to me and go, oh, yeah, seems like he does call out a lot on Fridays. We should talk to him. Or, no, it's just twice in the last couple of months. And so you're sticking to that in your mind, right? It, it's suited. Um, I did want to talk about one of the things that I'm really proud of this comp my company. Um, this was in place before I started. Um, we have core values. Um, honesty, humility, integrity, family, excellence, courage, servant's heart. Nice. And um, those are our values. And once a month, we have the RV Awards, our values, and recreational vehicle, kind of a pun. That's cool. And every employee is allowed to nominate another employee for an RV Award. And then we, 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 we pull everyone off the phone that we can, um, and we give out a certificate and a little magnet that you won an RV award, and we read it, and we celebrate our values. And um, it's just something, it is, a, it is a way to say, you know, you had, you went above and beyond helping a client. You did a beyond on helping a teammate. And so um, that was in place before I started. And that's when I knew um, maybe I found a work home that will that will work for me for a long time, that they value that much. Oh, I love that you say that you found a place that you want to work for a long time because so often when when we're in these types of employment, we're like, we're not thinking long term. We're th from an employee perspective, and managers are like, they're not thinking long term. So I'm not going to fall in love with my employees. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pour into them because they're just going to turn around and leave. Um, but instead, when you, when you focus your organization on those values and on increasing your, or on pouring into your employees, when you focus on that, not just the numbers, not just performance, I think that's when you can really lock in that relationship with your people. When, when they go, I'm so much more than just someone answering calls um, to this company. I, I have an opinion. I have, I have impact on this company in a positive way. Um, I, oh, I think that's really powerful. <laughs> I, I do too. And, you know, I talk to my agents and talk to my teammates to like, understand that work is not a church. So, um, you know, you, it's okay if you leave this job. Yeah. I don't want you to leave, but I understand that most people will have multiple careers. My job is to make you as, a f as strong as a teammate as I can, whether here or in the future. And um, we all have nice moments. And, I, and I'd love to hear after I tell you this one, if you have one to share with me, uh, Molly, but I, I was uh, a lady had been a manager for me and she had um, totally changed jobs. She had went to be a uh, massage therapist and they called her and they, the manager of the spa where she was working um, quit. And so they went to her and said, we want you to manage temporarily. And she called me and said, I just, I don't understand. I'm like, well, of course, you know, you, you've got management experience. You're, you're obviously good at what you do. And so you're a perfect choice to do this. And I don't know if you want to do it, Gina, but if you could, you're going to do great. And she said, that's what Andy, which was her husband said, but I needed to hear it from you. Thank you, Jesse. And um, I went, okay, maybe, maybe this, this management thing's okay. 
Yeah. 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 So I spend a lot of time working with young people in high school and university or just coming out of university. And for many of my staff, it was their first job or their first like job that they were passionate about. And so it was really exciting. And, and first off, you know that your staff aren't staying for the rest of your life. They're, 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 jo- they're part-time jobs, they're seasonal jobs. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not career building, career, long-term career kind of jobs. So I know that going into it. So I know I am going to pour everything into these employees because they are sponges at that age and they are ready and willing and excited so I'm not going to tell you about my staff. Um, instead, I'm going to tell you about one of my participants. Um, this was long, long ago when I when I was first getting into this and I was first becoming um, a supervisor in this world. And uh, this this one kid was having a really tough time in our program. He wasn't making friends. He was acting out. And so I was like, okay, how can I how can I work with my people? So I w- talked to my team and I'm like, okay, is there something we can do? We weren't really coming up with answers. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to think outside of the box. I'm going to talk to the mom, the kid's mom. And instead of saying, we have a problem, I was like, hey, I noticed something happened today. And I was wondering what your opinion would be and and what kind of resources you would have if, if this happened at home. And the mom was like, that was the most incredible question that anyone has ever asked me. Usually they want to point fingers and 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 say that the problem is my son. I was like, no, 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 your, your son's great. Your son is awesome. I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm creating the best experience for him and for everyone here. She was like, that's incredible. And we chatted for hours and hours and hours, and, or maybe two hours. And then the next day, I decided that I was going to approach the situation completely differently. And so I told my team about what my idea was, and they kind of rolled their eyes. They're like, I think that's weird. Um, and then I sat down with the kid and his, this kid's deepest passion was Doctor Who. And he was being bullied with the other ki- by the other kids in the group. So I just sat down with him and I was like, you like Doctor Who? I like Doctor Who. That's really cool. Do you want to draw me a comic? He was like, yeah, totally. So he's drawing, he's keeping to himself. He's having a great time. I go off, do my, do my work. And he comes up to me and goes, hey, can I get more pick more pages for my comic book. Can I take them home? Usually we, we're not supposed to, but I was like, yeah, totally. As long as you bring it back to where I want to see it. And he brought it back and it was pages and pages long, colored to the T. And what it was, was an adventure, a Doctor Who style adventure where he was the doctor and I was his companion. And we were going around to these different galaxies and these different planets and dealing with these situations that reflected what he was experiencing with his peers and his group. And it was so neat to see this different way of thinking. And so as a, as a team, we, like, we had a big debrief that day after after work with the whole team. And I was like, guys, this was the weirdest thing I have ever done, but it had such an incredible impact. And so I teach every staff I ever have worked with the importance of getting to know your people, either your staff that you're working with on your team, maybe the the people who are part of your programs. And the best part is that kid grew up and became one of my staff. And he tells that story better than I do. And it's, it's understanding that 
those relationships are going to last forever. Maybe you're part of that dialogue and that relationship, or maybe you're just a character in the story that gets told years down the line. But you as a manager, as a supervisor, as a team member, you have a lasting impact on the people that you serve. And if you, if you screw that up, then you're going to be known as the bad boss. Exactly. But if you step into it, you're going to be known as that incredible boss who changed their life. So your story is a perfect example of what I try to do. And I try to talk to my team. Everyone is unique. Everyone is different. Um, You know, and instead of trying to make them all fit in a cookie cutter, look for someone's unique talent and see if there is a need in the company that matches that. Yeah. You know, maybe someone is really good at email communication. So instead of having him or her try to work on the phone, have them take over email support. Right? Like someone is it it just they're um someone who is a really great artist. Like, okay, yes, they still have to do their job, but when it's time to do new bulletin boards or to decorate the, you know, like a lot of call centers have the big glass window that you look in and you look like you're the fishbowl, but, you know, have him paint that yeah. and, and that way celebrate. Um, you know, I, one of my other passions is I do a Doctor Who podcast. So that just made me smile. Um, and because, um, yeah, I think that's great. I think the, the idea of finding an employee's passions and talking to him and sharing with him. I, we had an employee who um, was almost Eeyore-ish. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, and and he was just, um, he had just started, we had rehired him and, and he was talking and he mentioned some book and I said, oh, I, tell me about that. And so I started talking about some science fiction books I had read and he lit up because you know he had never had anyone show an interest um and so you know i was really happy i had someone come the other day at my desk and like hey can we talk football for a minute sure like well you know i'm a philadelphia eagles fan i said that's okay you know (laughs) i said you know with with my bruce springsteen fandom there i have tons of people that are the east coast and we spent about 10 or 15 minutes she spent her whole break sitting at my desk just talking football Oh, and just, and, you know, and it just, it, it made my heart happy that, you know, that she just wanted to spend the time talking to me. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue to stop talking about bad bosses and talk about the boss himself. So you have, well, you mentioned your Dr. Who podcast, but tell me more about your Springsteen podcast. Yeah. So, um, in about five or six years ago, um, Lynette Carolla, Adam Carolla's wife was doing she did like five or six episodes where she talked to different friends of hers and adam celebrities about their bruce springsteen fandom and she quit doing it and i was really wanted to hear more of those and so in the spirit of lighting a candle instead of cursing the darkness i had already been doing a doctor who podcast i was doing a castle podcast the ed nathan fillion show you know and and so I went to the guy who runs our network and I said, I want to do a Bruce Springsteen podcast. He goes, okay, but what is a Bruce Springsteen podcast? And I said, well, I want to do is I want to reach out to different Springsteen fans and just talk about their fandom. 
And he said, okay. Um, so it's called Set Lusting Bruce, the Bruce Springsteen podcast. The reason it's Set Lusting is one, um, Bruce usually when he's touring does a different set list almost every night. Um, social media, with social media, fans who are at the show tweet the set list as it's going. Oh, he played the river. Oh, he played Atlantic City. And then the people who aren't at the show watch, and if he does a rarity, instead of set listing, they start set lusting. I wish I was there. So that's where the title came from. Oh, um, that's cool. I have been five years, over 600 episodes, uh, probably 15, 20 different countries. I've had Russia. I've had France. I've had UK. I've had New Zealand. Um, all kinds of people in the state, Canada. Um, and what they do is they just, we, we, we talk and we talk about what about Bruce's music moved you. Uh, they tell stories about his music. I've had um, a, um, a writer um, that um, Juniper, the girl who was born too early, um, her dad talked about that she was born in Neonato and they read Harry Potter to her and played nothing but Bruce Springsteen and Bob Seger music. And, uh, you know, she's now fine. Yeah. Um, I've had different uh, people. And so um, I, it has turned into just this labor of love um, and where there's this whole network of people that uh, we share the power and the magic of, of music. Oh, that's awesome. Um, side, side question. You have a Doctor Who podcast. Uh, yes. You did a Castle podcast. Where's your Torchwood podcast? So we just did, by the way, we did a Torchwood month last year. We picked three or four Torchwood episodes and talked about them. We did. Uh, Next Stop Everywhere is the Doctor Who podcast. Um, so now that we're going to lose our, your audience, but I found Doctor Who through Torchwood. Oh my goodness. I watched Torchwood first because um, I was a huge Firefly fan. Yeah. And someone said that Captain Jack and Malcolm Reynolds was the same character because they both wear long courts. They both yep. have pistols. Yep. And so I, I said, well, I'm going to watch this Torchwood. So I find it. And so I watched it and I went to my friend who had been a Doctor Who fan forever. I said, I really like Captain Jack, what episodes in yeah. Doctor Who is he on? He said, well, it's just easier here. And so he gave me the Krista Eccleston DVDs and I watched it. And that's how I found Doctor Who is through Torchwood. Oh my goodness. Okay. Huge nerd. So Firefly, yes. clearly greatest. Yes. Um, then I got into Doctor Who. I got into Doctor Who when the new series started uh, sure. with Eccleston, which was great. So I have this super nerdy game that I play, and I'm okay. sure you'll play along one day. Take actors and create a timeline of their life based on the characters that they've played. They don't need to be in order of the when movies or TV shows came out. Um, okay. They're just the same person. So Captain Jack... Yeah, totally. Or my favorite, my favorite example would be um, Tom Hanks. So yeah, we watched a lot of Tom Hanks' life when he was growing up in Forrest Gump, 
and that all happened and and then we we move and he ends up being on a deserted island he's got this great life story um so i i love to play that game with sci-fi characters because there's so many of those actors that keep appearing um in different series and it just it just makes the whole world a little bit more wonderful i think yes yes <laughs> absolutely so who's your doctor <sighs> I, I have to say Eccleson's my doctor because he was my first. Sure. Um, but I have to say my deep love and respect for Doctor Who comes from the fact that it is the best written storyline ever, like at its absolute basic, because it is a show that will never, ever, ever go off the air. Or it may go off the air like it did before, but it will come back. And it can come back it, no matter what budget your production has, because it is literally written into the DNA of the main character that they can come back as a, they could come back as a cyborg one day. They could come back as a woman. They could come back as a man. They could come back tall or short or from this world or from, like that I think is the most incredible um, part of the whole story. So yeah, but I love Christopher Eccleston. He's just so straightforward. <laughs> so as you, the, in the grand scheme of things, there are a lot of things that I regret, but having him as the doctor only one season if we're talking about not serious issues is a tragedy because I yeah. would have loved to seen him do other things. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. I think we could get a petition going. We could yeah. bring him back. It, and so the thing is, it wouldn't be weird if he came back. He's going to do big finish audios. He's going to do audio dramas. So Ooh. yes, absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time to wrap this conversation up, but we will continue this conversation on your show one day because absolutely. I, I am a nerd and I am proudly a nerd and I let that flag fly. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that. Well, well, we'll have to have you on not only Next Stop Everywhere, but also on Set Lessing Bruce. So you've got two appointments now you've got to make. Oh, fabulous. I love it. Any last words for those listening at home? So I, I think um, what I would urge you to do is to, um, and I know this is a cliche, but the golden rule, right? Treat others as you wish they would treat you. Um, remember, just understand that often bad news can be softened if you explain the reason why. Yep. Listen to people's concerns and feedback, um, you know, and, and just care, yep. you know, if you care and you're, you know, right, if you can fake empathy, you've got it made. But the reality is, if you really care, um, which you should, if you get into management, you should care about your people. It goes a long way. Yep. Absolutely. Treat others the way you want to be treated, not necessarily the way that you were treated. Absolutely. That is a great yes. way to round up this conversation. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute blast. For those of you listening at home, make sure you check the description and check out Jesse's podcast, plural, two of them, all of you sci-fi nerds, call to action. We ride at dawn. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm Coach Molly from visibilityhacking.com. It's been an absolute blast. I will see you on Saturday for our next episode of the Lifelong Podcast, where we dive back into the psychology of marketing. I'll see you then.